coming with an entourage on white horses and pomp. He comes lowly, humbly, riding this colt. He doesn't need all of the trappings of empire because he's a different kind of a king. Not a king who's going to just sit on a throne and hope for people to feed him grapes and he gets fed. He's a king who's going to roll up his sleeves and he's going to take all the sin of the world on his own shoulders. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the prophet Daniel told people to put it on their calendar to mark down the day that the king was going to come. And finally, at the appointed time, he showed up, but not in the way anyone expected. In today's teaching, Pastor Daniel explains what makes Jesus so different from other kings. You'll see that he came with humility and grace to serve people and to give his life to rescue us all. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 as he continues his message, A Bigger Story. Let me read you the first little section. It says this in verse 24. It says, 70 weeks are determined For your people, verse 24, and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. My friends, this is a predetermined time. That's what this is. This is a predetermined time. See, Daniel has been praying about this 70-year period, and then Gabriel comes and says, listen, I'm going to raise you your 70. We have this 70 weeks. Now, what's interesting is for the children of Israel, they were used to thinking in what scholars would call a heptad or in series of sevens. Right? It's very common for the children of Israel to think this way. You had seven days in one week. Every seventh year was the Sabbath year of rest. Every series of seven, seven-year periods was the year of Jubilee. And if you've been studying the Torah with us, you've heard all of these things and we've discussed this. But now we have this 70 weeks, or literally in the Hebrew, the word for weeks is the word shabuam, which literally means seven. So we have this 77 period. Now, most scholars would tell you that this isn't 70 periods of seven weeks. It's 70 periods of seven years. And this predetermined time has something very specific that it wants to accomplish. Literally six purposes in this predetermined time. Notice, it deals with your people and for your holy city. So who is Daniel's people? The Jewish people. What was his holy city? Jerusalem, right? And so Daniel's been praying about the children of Israel who've been in Babylon and them going back to Jerusalem because it was conquered by the Babylonians. He's like, okay, so now I have this 77 period, the 70 periods of seven years that's going to deal with your people and your Holy See. Now, don't miss this. Oftentimes, the way God answers our prayers is by doing exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. How many times do you see in the Gospels where somebody asks Jesus is something and Jesus is like, well, yeah, I know you're worried about this, but I have something way greater that I want to get at with you. 
I wanted to tell you that because I realize that for all of us, oftentimes our prayers are specific, but God wants to get at something deeper and more important in our lives. So oftentimes God doesn't answer our prayers in the ways that we want because we are limited by what we can see and God has something greater that he wants to do. See, Daniel is concerned with the children of Israel going back to Jerusalem. And God's like, no, no, I have a 70 period that is even bigger, greater than you can imagine. And it has these six purposes involved. Notice, first, to finish the transgression. Now, obviously, when you read all of these together, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. That's all six of them. All of these deal with the cross, the empty tomb, and the eventual return of Jesus, and the fixing of all things in the kingdom of God. Now, I say that, and it's real easy if you've been in church for a while, be like, oh yeah, the cross, the resurrection, Jesus coming back. You know, you yawn and turn the page. But my friends, this is God's plan for humanity right here. That God was going to send his son to die on a cross for the sins of the world, right? He was going to conquer sin and death through the empty tomb. And at some point, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to set the world back to the way it ought to be, right? He's going to fix a broken world. Now, what's for most of us, especially those of you who spend time in church, you're so used to hearing about the cross and the resurrection that maybe it's lost its flavor. It's lost its amazingness. I remember when you first gave your life to Jesus, the fact that God would send his son to die on a cross for your sins is the most extraordinary thing ever. Now you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I hope the pastor doesn't preach long, you know? But there was a time when you loved it when the pastor preached long. You're like, I can't believe he's stopping right now. This stuff's so awesome. Like, where did that go? It's kind of like when you get married. Everyone's in love on the wedding day. Oh, they're so in love. They're like, you know, the wife's like, she's gliding down the aisle. You know what I mean? The husband, he doesn't even wait for the pronouncement of marriage. He's already kissing her. You know what I mean? And then like two years later, like we just stay in separate sides of the house. We can't, when you get a bigger house. He has his quarter. She has her quarter. It gets like that, right? That familiarity breaches. Like, you forget how good you have it until all of a sudden you realize, once again, you have a renewed vision. The fact that at the cross, there's a finish to transgression. Jesus said it is finished. That's what he said. At the cross, it's done. I've conquered transgression through my own body to make an end of sins, the taking away of sin from the people who would believe. To make reconciliation for iniquity. See, you think of reconciliation when two people are separated and they get brought back together. That's when two people who are at odds are now reconciled together. The reconciliation for iniquity is what Jesus did at the cross. And the empty tomb is all about this. It's the fulfillment of all these things. And then, of course, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy place. This all speaks about Jesus' second coming. Because to bring in the everlasting righteousness is the messianic kingdom when Jesus returns. To seal a vision and prophecy. It's the fulfillment of the totality of the word of God. And to anoint the most holy place, which is the new Jerusalem, our eternal abode. See, God's plan is this 77-year period, this 490 years is going to accomplish everything, the cross, the empty tomb, and ultimately 
all that God has planned. And so when you realize that there's a predetermined time for all of this, this reminds me of Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, which says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. My friends, the biggest fear that I have, and not like a sinful fear, but the kind of thing that makes me think twice is when I start to realize that time is predetermined. That I'm not going to have, I mean, who knows how long I'm going to have? I know how long I'm going to have to raise my kids. I don't know how long I have to, to love my wife. I don't know how long I have to preach the gospel. That we aren't promised decades. Never says anywhere, you're going to get 80 years. No, it's a predetermined time. But it says here that if we ask God to teach us to number our days, we may gain a heart of wisdom. Why? Because then you don't wait on anything. You don't put off for tomorrow what needs to be done today. And I think that's part of the wisdom of following Jesus is you start to realize that my life matters and these days are important and I may not have all the time that I want. So we need to get done now what is important. We need to make sure we get the most important things done now. It says in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, walking in wisdom is redeeming the time because the days are evil. See, one of the ways we walk in foolishness is when we think we have infinite time. And there's a lot of us right now, you are living like you have all the time in the world. And I'm here to tell you, your time is precious. Who you are today, how God wants to use you today is important. And you don't have a million years. You don't have decades. You may only have one more week. Who knows? But you walk in wisdom when you redeem the time. When you say, I only have a set amount of time, so I'm going to get at this thing. I think there's too many of us. We've become lazy with our time, and we're missing out on what God has. See, in this 77s, these 70 weeks, these 77-year periods, all that God has planned is going to be accomplished. It's a predetermined time. Now, from there, check out what we get. We get a promised Messiah. From there, we get a promised Messiah. Look at verse 25 and 26. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end of it shall be with a flood till the end of the war, desolations are determined. My friends, this is a promised Messiah. Now, what we find here is that out of these 70 weeks or these 77 year periods, we get seven weeks or 49 years and then 62 weeks, which is 434 from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the coming of the Messiah. Now, you notice that there's a start date on this that's important, right? This notice to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, you can find this in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. This is the starting of the timing of this prophecy where it's the royal edict of a king named Artaxes Longimanus 
in his 20th year, he gave the decree to authorize the rebuilding of the city. Now, if you read your Bible, you notice there's a lot of other decrees concerning Jerusalem, but this is the one that starts the clock. The author, I see Cyrus gave the decree to rebuild the temple. You find about Ezra chapter one. Darius confirmed that they were allowed to rebuild the temple. You read that in Ezra six. And then Artaxerxes gave a decree concerning offerings and temple worship in Ezra chapter seven. But the one to rebuild the city, the city that had been destroyed, Nehemiah chapter two, verses one to eight. Now what's amazing is it says from that start date, which according to biblical understanding, it's March 14th, about 445 BC. Now listen, I'm going to give you dates. You can try and write them down. One of the things I've learned about dates in the Bible is that it's very, very hard to reverse engineer because the calendars change. You realize that the children of Israel were on what you would call a lunar calendar, 360-day calendars. The Romans instituted a solar calendar, 365 and one quarter day calendar. And when you try and do the math, like I have a hard enough time doing addition and subtraction. When you start doing this stuff, it gets really complicated. And you'll notice with dates, I'll give you like approximate dates because you read one scholar says it's here and another scholar says it's here. And I'm too lazy to actually sit and do all that math. You know what I mean? So I'm just trusting the scholars and I'm like, listen, the fact that they did that, God bless them. And I'm just going to trust them. But if you do the dating on it, that's where it lands. Now, it says that from that time until the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks, so 49 years, and then 434 years. Now, what's amazing is if you do the dating from 445 BC, if you take this 69 weeks and you do it into 360-day lunar years, you get 173,740 days. If you include leap years and everything else, you end up with 173,880 days. And this lands you right around Passover time at 33 AD. Which a lot of people would say that was exactly when Jesus had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So as we commemorate, you like all that math, right? A lot of this is based on the work of one scholar named Sir Robert Anderson. His scholarly work, The Coming Prince, explains this whole thing and his whole computation. But when Jesus was triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, it would be the exact fulfillment of this prophecy. Given six, seven hundred years before it happened powerful because you got to realize this prophecy deals with the start date is something that hadn't even happened in the time of daniel it was after daniel and so the start date was in the future and then jesus is coming now what i want you to do is i want you to keep your finger here in daniel chapter 9 and i want you to turn to your right to matthew chapter 21 matthew 21 because i want to i, I want to read you this triumphal entry account. Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, 
Go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them. And immediately they will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and they laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. See, Jesus knew that it was the predetermined time and that he was the promised Messiah. And Jesus goes and he gets this donkey and he's fulfilling prophecies in Zechariah, in Isaiah. He's fulfilling the Messianic Psalms as they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, Jesus knew the predetermined time and he knew he was the promised Messiah. He knew that he had come in order to accomplish God's plan. In the scroll of the book, it was written of Jesus. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, people start freaking out. Literally, they're laying their clothes on the road. That was a sign of submission where they're saying, we surrender to you as our king. They wave these palm branches, what they call Palm Sunday, which literally means all of creation declares that the king has come. That's what we commemorate. We commemorate the fact that Jesus is a king. But he's not a king coming with an entourage on white horses and pomp. He comes lowly, humbly, riding this colt. He doesn't need all of the trappings of empire because he's a different kind of a king. Not a king who's going to just sit on a throne and hope for people to feed him grapes and he gets fed. He's a king who's going to roll up his sleeves and he's going to take all the sin of the world on his own shoulders. My friends, this is why if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, this is why Jesus will always be the most important human being who has ever lived. No matter how often they have the man of the millennium, the man of the decade, Jesus always lands there because he is still the gold standard of what it means to love and to take care of other people. He did it self-sacrificially and he died on a cross for you. You don't believe me? Go back to Daniel chapter 9. Go ahead, go back there. Look at what it says. It says, from the going forth, verse 25 in the command, to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be rebuilt again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off. You see that word cut off? That is literally in the Hebrew language means he shall suffer the death penalty. To be cut off from the land of the living. But notice, he shall be cut off, but not for himself. Jesus died on the cross for you. He died on the cross for me. He didn't deserve it. We deserved it. And he did it for us. I mean, we love these stories. We never get enough of these stories, do we? I remember there was this movie that came out a number of years back with Denzel Washington. I have a rule. If Denzel's in it, I try and watch it. 
I like Denzel Washington. Don't, if you think I'm a sinner, I am. That's why I believe in Jesus. Praise the Lord. But if you've ever watched a movie with Denzel in it, you know there's just something about Denzel, you know? And there's a movie, John Q, where this guy, right, he's got this great kid, and this kid needs a heart transplant. He's got an enlarged heart, and he doesn't have health insurance, and it's a big mess. And ultimately, John's plan is he ends up taking this whole hospital, you know, under siege. And I, I know there's moral dilemmas in the whole thing, but he's like, it's for his kid, you know? And he's willing because he can give his heart to his son. And he's like, literally, he works this whole thing out where he's about to give up his life so that he can have his heart transplanted into his son so his son can live. You know, and you watch that movie and I just think to myself, I want to be like a dad like that guy. I'm not saying I'm going to go get all postal on a hospital. You know what I mean? But the idea, of course, is that he's willing to give up his life for his son. Of course, I love to joke about the Titanic You know, Leonardo DiCaprio became a household name because every woman wanted a man like Leo. You know, remember in the Titanic, you know, he gives her the plank and he drowns and it's a big sorry story, you know. This guy's willing to give up his life for this woman that he loves. But Jesus gave up his life for people who were in rebellion. It's crazy to me. It's the gospel though. This is the good news. See, this is the good news. The good news, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he was the promised Messiah. He gave up his life for you. For you. Now, someone is bound to ask, so I don't want to leave it. What's the separation here between the seven weeks, the 49 years, and the 62 weeks, or 434? I know someone's bound to ask, so... We don't really know, but it's interesting that it says at the end of 25, the street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And a lot of scholars would say, even though it took, you know, Nehemiah and the folks just under two months or so to be able to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, that it did take about 50 years to clean it out and to make it a, a functioning city again. So the idea here is that it's broken up. They go back and then... They start rebuilding the walls, and it takes a while for them to get the city in order, and that's that first period. And then there's this 62 weeks from the time when the city's in working order because of the street will be built again and the wall, even in the midst of troublesome times, until the coming of Jesus, and that's where you get that separation of those weeks. But notice, it says, the Messiah will be cut off and not for himself. And then at the end of verse 26, it says this. It says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it will be with a flood till the end of the war desolations are determined. So not only do we see the coming of Jesus, but we also see the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple again, which puts us, of course, at 70 AD. Remember, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Romans came and they conquered Jerusalem again. Just like it had happened with the Babylonians, it happens again, except they completely destroyed the city. So remember, this is about your people and your holy city. So really what this prophecy says is the Messiah is coming and the city is going to get destroyed again. And everyone's going to be dispersed. That's exactly what happened. Jesus is Thanks for staying with us as Pastor Daniel wrapped up this explanation of Daniel chapter 9. Through all the talk of days and weeks, you were able to see how God clearly shared what was going to happen and when to expect it. 
You see, this serves as proof that Jesus was who he said he was. You can put your faith and trust in him. So please, say yes to Jesus today. Let him rescue you and bring you into his family. Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. And that's it for this Friction series, all about how to live God's way in the world that doesn't value what He does. You saw the prophet Daniel and his friends swimming against the current, consistently working to follow God's plan in a culture that pushed them to fall in line. This series showed you that no matter how young or old you may be, every part of your life can be used to point people to Jesus and give God glory. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. 